0: Hybrids, Welcome back to another episode of the Phantom Hybrid Podcast. This is Hanako and I am here with Anthony, Mike, and Lori. And we are discussing A Discovery of Witches, Season 1, Episode 5. And this episode, uh, we pick up where the last episode ended um, with Matthew kind of speeding off back to Oxford to check on the status of the lab, which has been broken into. And with... Um, Diana controlling the rain and the weather around her. So the episode starts out with Diana. And um, as we're hearing Matthew's voiceover that we hear at the beginning of every episode, Diana's in the bath. And it's, it's a weird shot because at first you can't tell what's going on. But basically she's in the bathtub and she's up under the water. And the water is frozen. So she's still controlling the water um, with her powers and this scene was kind of weird to me because as she's in the tub and she's controlling her water Isabel and Marta are in another room and they're just kind of watching her like it's really creepy but at the same time it's kind of like they're watching her use these powers that she didn't even know she has and um, when she comes out of the water Marta you know, remarks to her about witch water, which we've already heard of witch wind. Now she's got witch water. And this is another one of those powers that Marta says she's ha- she has not seen in centuries. And, um, you know, Diana just kind of remarks that it's just another power that, you know, I, I don't know how to control. And um, she tells them that she should go to Madison. She should go back to her aunts so that they can help her to learn how to control her powers and both of them are like marta's like you're not going anywhere And Isabel's like i made my son, son a promise so pretty much diana is stuck she is i won't say she's being held captive but she's she's just kind of not being let out of anybody's sight right now um going to oxford Matthew meets with Miriam and Marcus and you know they they basically tell him that the lab has been secured but Matthew wants to go and check for himself so they go back to Oxford they go to the lab and Miriam confronts Matthew again about his involvement with Diana and she tells him that um you know, she, she feels like they've been operating under the radar for a long time in that lab, kind of hidden from creatures and humans alike. And now that Matthew is involved with Diana or mating as the specific term is being used, um, you know, they, they've kind of been exposed and Matthew, you know, he tries to silence her but she reminds him that she's the only one that has made it out of the three of them. So she knows the signs. So I think we discussed this in a earlier episode where they have certain terminology that they're using um, within this show that I think means different things than what we normally expect it to mean. So just like with the craving for matthew when it comes to diana it kind of means that he's craving her um as far as wanting to you know uh drink her blood i think this mating thing also is a little bit i think was it was it you Lori? i think you mentioned something about uh imprinting with twilight uh, a few episodes ago and i think with the vampires that's kind of what this seems like like We know that Matthew has been in relationships with other people before. And um, we know he's been in relationships with another vampire before. But apparently, I guess those would be considered like maybe just casual relationships or regular relationships. But this mating thing, the way that they talk about it, it seems to be more of a permanent bond that they are... I guess that he's experiencing with Diana or more of a permanent pull because they haven't actually, like, there's not, at this point in the episode, they have not confirmed themselves as a couple. They have not, you know, they have not had sex yet. It's just kind of an, an implication that they both have feelings for each other. They both know that these are very strong feelings that are drawing them together, but nothing has been... Um, confirmed yet? But apparently everybody can see that this is where it's going. Domenico saw it. Isabella kind of sees it, and Miriam sees it now. So, um, I, I think it's interesting. You know, when you think about the different vampire lore that we're, um, that we've been all been exposed to, I can't think of anything where I feel like that whole mating terminology or that mating definition really applies in any other vampire lore except maybe the 2000 version of dracula where dracula was kind of obsessed with uh mina but i don't i'm trying to think if there's any other vampire lore. can any of you think of anything may and maybe the um, the more recent Dracula series, not the one that came out last year, but the one with Jonathan Reese Myers, because he was also obsessed with men in that particular, uh, show. Was that, was that a show? Yes, it was. With Jonathan Reese? Yes.
1: and they cut cut it so prematurely short that was such a good show
0: they cancelled it it after one season and it pissed me off because that show I loved that show it was so good
1: that was actually a really good telling of it I can't think of anything recently because when you think of vampires usually you think of them as being like you know one offs and them not really considering mating with anybody because it's so hard for them being, not not dying, being centuries old, and not really, not really wanting to be with other vampires, like your, your dating pool really is constricted if you're a vampire, because there's always so many of you <laughs> that are, are going to be around with each other. Right. I mean, it, and honestly, right. I mean, you gotta think about it like that, because you can date somebody and be like, oh, I love you, I love you, 80 years later, they're dead, then you go, okay, I love you too, then they're dead, then another year, yeah, yeah, come on. I mean it gets old and it gets really tiring for them. So it's kind of hard to imagine that vampires would link themselves to somebody who is not as supernaturally compatible as they are, so to speak.
0: Not in that way anyway, because I mean, even later on in this episode when when Isabel kind of, schools Diana, you know, she, she takes a lot of this episode trying to convince Diana that Matthew is not the person for her, that she, this is not something she wants to get involved with. And one of the things that she does say to Diana is that when it comes to a vampire mating, it, it's a different type of relationship. Like it's forever, you know? And it's one of those things where, um, and Matthew says it later, you know, to Diana you know when you are no longer here my life will end so it's it's basically like one of those i don't want to say obsessive cuz i don't think it's i don't think it's that way like it's just a, a a compulsion but i think it's really kind of like a soulmate type bond between them and you know i mean we've mentioned twilight before but that's the only other thing recently that i can think of where there may be an example of that, because if you think about the couples in Twilight, they're all like, if you read the books, they're all inexplicably drawn to each other in a way that, you know, that this is going to be their permanent mate, you know, so I just think it's... um. It, it, it's an interesting way to look at things because, again, like I said, you know, and, and thinking about your comment for the last episode, Mike, you know, when you were talking about Matthew possibly being a playboy throughout his 1500 years, it's kind of like, you know, I said then that I didn't feel like that was the type of person Matthew was. And again, we've only known of three, like he mentions the two humans that he had relationships with and that he loved them he he mentions that later on in the series but we know about it because Hamish mentioned it and then of course we know the whole Juliet thing we don't know how his feelings for Juliet were but those are the only three examples that we have to go on you know and he didn't seem like those were casual but they also didn't seem like they were till the end of time till death do us part type of devotion on his part, you know? So, I, I think yeah, that... I
1: mean, you to be real careful about that, you know? And also, uh, I made a note that we were, we were talking about Isabel, like looking after, taking, taking um, Diana on the hunt and all this, all this stuff, taking her to the church and showing her the stone that had his wife and son's name on it. Mm-hmm. Like, she was basically giving, giving him, giving her the, like vampire the vampire version of like the dad speech when you say you're gonna date someone's daughter and they're like they have the shotgun ready and they're like all right look this is what you're in for if you can't deal with this you can't deal with this then you can't you can't deal with my son or mm-hmm. daughter." and it's like she i mean is she basically especially on the hunt after she caught the fox and it was looking at her just casually eating fox guts it's like can you deal with this huh okay <laughs> 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 are you are you are you are you about that night right she really gave like gave her the are you you know are you
0: really are you in this to end are are you really in this speech tour right it's
1: just like that whole scene was just weird there's like I, I really never really expected her to start picking like intestines out of her teeth while she was talking too so, so, <laughs> just, so really you know we go he does this a lot so are you really into this? And and to Diana's credit, she did not blink. Like she, no. didn't, you know, don't game of chicken. She just she stood solid and said, "Yeah, I'm good. We should probably get back though."
0: Yeah, and,
2: and I would give I, I would give Diana credit for that. All this stuff that she is now learning, she is accepting, like without question. Okay, yeah. he's a vampire. He can kill me at any moment, and he feeds. His mother's crazy, and she can go off. But, you know, it, it's it's kind of cool that she's not freaked out by all the things that's happening. She's like, she knew this stuff kind of existed, but she mm-hmm. has kind of been ignorant towards it. But as it's coming to her, she's like, okay, well, this is how it is.
0: Right. You know? I mean, I guess if you think about it, if you are making the decision to love someone knowing Even knowing just a little bit about what that person is. I mean, come on. Everybody knows when it comes to vampires, we know their diet consists of blood. So that means they're getting it from one of two sources. They're either getting it from humans or they're getting it from animals. You know what I'm saying? And I think for Diana, I think she knows if Matthew were, if he was drinking from humans, she probably would have been dead the first day. You know, he exhibits, and and we said this before, he exhibits a lot of control for someone who is a vampire, for someone who is such an old vampire, you know. So I think, again, it kind of goes back to what she said to Isabeau in the last episode and what she also said to Matthew um, when it came to dealing with Isabel, knowing that Isabel has a reputation for being a witch hunter. She's like, okay, I know what all these people are telling me and I know what the reputation is, but I'm going to make the decision for myself based on what I see and what I learn. And that's what she's doing also with, with Matthew, you know, um, Isabeau is, like I said, she spends pretty much the majority of the episode trying to convince Diana that, this relationship is not going to work. And, you know, just basically trying to plant doubts in Diana's mind about where this relationship would go if she pursues it. And Diana's just like, so unbothered by Isabel. And I don't know if it's a front or if this is just how she is. But I mean, one of the things that Matthew has said before is that Diana's bravery is one of the things that draws him to her. And, She shows that a lot in this episode. Like she keeps, and again, not just this episode, but through this series, like the last three weeks of her life have been turned upside down from getting Ashmo 782, uh, having her magic just kind of going haywire, you know, finding out that witches attacked her parents and killed her parents, just all this stuff that she's had to deal with she basically faces it and she keeps going. So I I kind of I'm not surprised that she would take that kind of stance with Isabel. She's like, "Oh, okay, is that all you got? Okay, whatever. Can we go home now?" You know, she's just like not phased and I think even though Isabel is doing her best to kind of deter Diana from this path, you can't help but see that she's starting to gain a little bit of respect for Diana too. She might think Diana is a little stupid or naive given what they're going to face from the congregation if they decide to pursue this path. But she's starting to gain a little bit of respect for Diana. I think, you know, just that, okay, she is strong, you know, and, and this is what my son sees in her. And I think, you know, if you, if, if she's keeping in mind the comment that Matthew made to her about Diana reminding him of Isabel, she's probably looking at Diana too and saying, okay, yeah, there's a little, you know, I do recognize that person. She is, you, you know what I'm saying? I think, I think there's, there's a bit of respect there. And also I think it's kind of reminding Isabel of the person she used to be as well, you know, but um,
1: yeah, I can see that, and, and, and it's still the typical, um, like mother, mother really trying, trying her best and damnedest to look after her son. Yeah. And nobody, I mean, and just like she really wants, and and she doesn't want him hurt, or she doesn't want him getting getting into a situation where it's going to end up only being him. Like if they get into a relationship, and Diane's like, "This is too much, I'm out." and he's left holding the bag, her mother's probably going to try to rip her head off her her shoulders. So she wants to make sure, like Anthony said, that she's about that life.
0: I don't Uh, even know if it's just about that, because if you think about it, if Diana and Matthew go down this course, they're basically breaking congregation law. So it's kind of like, Right. I think she's not necessarily just testing Diana to see, oh, if she has the stomach for being with Matthew. It's just, do you have the stomach to deal with all of the consequences that will come with this decision? Because yeah, if what, you guys decide to be together, they are coming after you. and yeah, that's what that's what I'm saying. It's like because he yes he has to have somebody who's not going to flake on him at the at the first sign of first sign of trouble. Right.
1: I think if she's going to be out as, as soon as, like, everybody comes down on him, then, like, she says, maybe she's really, she doesn't want him to do it at all, but if he's going to do it, he needs to make, she, she wants to make sure that he has somebody there that's going to have his back through this and not be, and not just,
0: like, you know, just be flaky about it, like I said. So. Right. Right. But going back to Oxford real quick, so... Um, Matthew, Miriam, and Marcus are at the lab. As I was saying, Miriam is kind of confronting Matthew about the fact that he's mating with Diana. And as they're in the lab, Matthew is trying to make sure that nothing has been taken and they assure him nothing has been taken. But while he's, um, while he's checking around the lab, he recognizes a scent and he immediately, like, even though when they first walked in the lab, he kind of knew like he was already accusing Knox of being the one to, to break into the lab. Now he recognizes the scent of one of the people who was there and he goes after them. And of course, Miriam tries to stop him and he's not paying no attention. So at this point, Miriam is like, okay, we got to call Baldwin. and we've got to tell him the truth. I'm like, what? You're about to snitch. What kind of child are you? But I think at this point too, Miriam is trying to stop Matthew from being self-destructive because at this point, as far as all of them are concerned, him going down this path with Diana, it, it is nothing but self-destructive. And as we hear in the conversation with Baldwin, when Marcus calls, um, you know, Marcus is telling Baldwin about the whole situation. And he's like, Baldwin's like, He's made it with the witch and Marcus is like, no, he's, he's fighting it. Isabel says he's not going to break the covenant. And Baldwin is like so confused because he's like, hold up. I thought he was just with her to get the book of life. Like where the hell did all this other stuff come from? And Marcus is like, well, it started out that way. It's not ending up that way. Um, you know he was like but but you can kind of help him out you know you're you're in charge of the congregation and you're his brother and you're the head of the household and Baldwin is like look and this is something we said before about the way Baldwin and Matthew approaches things Baldwin says Matthew never destroys just himself he takes everybody else down with him I'm not about to do this. He was like, if Matthew breaks the rules, he's going to have to be the one to pay the price. Baldwin is like, I'm not on this train. Like everybody else is, you can kind of feel the pull from everybody else. Like they're against it, but they're kind of tiptoeing towards what Matthew wants. Like I said, Matthew seems to be very charming. He seems to be able to persuade people to do what he wants, and everyone else seems to kind of—they're fighting him on it, but they're not fighting really hard.
2: He's so persuasive. He is.
0: He's so, he's so he's cavalier so <laughs> that they—they can't—they can't help it because he does. It's, It's—it's one. Sometimes I think I wonder if it's because he doesn't really. He—I don't want to call him a bad boy, but he really operates like the rules don't apply to him. And everyone
1: can be kind of envious of that, and it makes you more likely to be like, wow, maybe he knows something that we don't, know. or maybe we should help him out because he doesn't really follow the rules. You know? Yeah, or he's, or... he's basically a Teflon down in the vampire world, like <laughs> old, but then he walked in, but then he'll just walk right out without scratch. Everybody's like, the hell? and yeah you're right it's just like he really is so smooth with it like and all of a sudden it's just like wherever he wants to do, like you probably really shouldn't do that but I'm no, gonna do it and it's just it just everything just slides off and he's just like oh y'all coming after me go away and, oh Bob was like oh if he breaks the rules he's gonna pay for it yeah
3: let's see you try to make that stick <laughs> <Right. You know? laughs> how many times do you think in the past he has broken the rules right and continues to break the rules, and they haven't
0: really had the opportunity or the, the heart to punish him for it. Right.
2: Or the
1: ability or the guts, yeah.
0: Right. I think the other thing, too, is that um, you kind of have to admire Matthew, if not for anything else, before the fact that he doesn't let rules dictate him. You know? He knows what he wants and he goes after it. And he's like, consequences be damned. But I mean, even in this episode, you know, we see him later on he's talking with Hamish um, about the whole situation, you know admitting to Hamish that Diana loves him and that he also loves her. And it, it's kind of like
2: <sighs> I have a reference it's not a sci-fi reference. Okay. Or fantasy reference. Okay. Is remind, it, it reminds me of House because House has this quote that he said in an episode. He said, you know, rules are for stupid people who don't know any better. And <laughs> it seems to be that's oh, how sorry. Michael I, operates. I, I, I thought his quote was, it's not as never. Oh, no, Lucas, my bad. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, rules, are, rules are for stupid people who don't know any better. So if you're like Matthew and you understand how the world
0: operates, then you can operate Outside of the rules, yeah, because they don't really
2: apply. Because he knows better than anyone
0: else, right? I, and you know, the the thing that I actually thought about was from Pirates of the Caribbean, where uh, Barbosa says, you know, it, it, they're more like guidelines anyway. You know, as far as the rules, like yeah, yeah you can kind of like, you can kind of fudge a little like, bit on them. And it's like, you know, Matthew seems to be the person who will say, um, this is what I want, and this is what I'm fighting for. Oh, this is the point I was trying. He was saying to Hamish that he didn't think the congregation was really going to care because this is a thousand-year-old rule. He's like, why would they care whether or not I fall in love with a witch? He really seriously thought that they were just going to look the other way because, you know, who cares about this rule? It's a thousand years old, but it's still a rule you know, and it's not necessarily that they want him to just stick with the rules. It's what they're afraid of will happen if those rules are broken. And we find, you know, we, we find out a lot of other things, um, in this episode as well, as far as how the congregation feels about the interspecies relationships and what happens. And like, literally they are, their whole thing is they are trying to hold on to some semblance of power. Um, And the vampires more so than anything, because they are the ones who have pretty much been in control of all of this. And kind of like it was with um, Diana's parents, even though they were both witches, it's kind of like, you know, they they turn their backs a little bit on the witches and Knox took that personally, as in, you know, if they're not all united, and he said as much to Satu, if they're not all united, if they're not working together, then they're not as strong. And I think that with the congregation, that's probably what they're afraid of. Like, if you have the species intermingling, then of course there's not necessarily going to be, if you have a a witch and a vampire who are together together, there's not necessarily going to be loyalty from those two towards their particular factions. It's like they're they're going to be trying to find a way for everyone to work together. And of course, the more you mix things up, the less, um, the less pure things are, and and the less of a grip I think you have on the whole thing. At least that's kind of the way I look at it. It's like. If you have, if you allow interspecies mingling, not just with vampires and witches, but I mean, you know, we've seen in this uh, series where the demons are pretty much at the bottom of the totem pole. You know, they're they're kind of at the bottom of the food chain. They have been forbidden to even really congregate with each other. So it's like, and, and that's one of the things that Nat says, if we were allowed to, communicate and congregate we will be stronger and we wouldn't have as many issues as we had you know as we have and I think with the vampires and the witches they can see that like they see the demons are not allowed to unify and how weak that makes them so I think if that would were to happen with the vampires and witches where you know instead of them remaining loyal to their own um, species or factions, you know, if they kind of muddy the waters a little bit, that kind of blurs the lines and then no one faction will have that that, you know, amount of power. You know what I'm saying? And I I think that's probably really what the congregation is worried about. At least, especially with Baldwin. Because they already, like, they've all stated in one form or another, they feel like the vampires are trying to pretty much dominate the whole thing. They feel like the, dom- the the vampires are fighting for more power. They feel like that's what happened with Knox as far as him knowing about the book of life and not telling them. They're like, oh, you were planning on keeping that for yourself so the vampires can have more power. So they're already worried about that. This is what's going to happen. Just, you know, Matthew and Diana being together, that kind of mudd- muddies that a little bit, you know? But
1: Plus, that... At Nat's meeting, you see um, Sophie come in, and she's like, "I need to talk to your mother about about whatever she's talking about." And she and there, and she says, "We need to tell every, tell her or tell everybody." And that that threw me because I'm like, "Okay, so so wait a minute, she's not a demon," because that, that that pretty much like specimen anybody like, you know that, and she's definitely not a vampire. She doesn't seem like a witch. So she's human. So a demon has committed with a human, and they're producing an offspring. So not only is that grossly against the rules, I mean that that's one of the reasons. I think that's probably why Nat is trying to get everybody together because once that happens and they come after, they want they want some protection for when the congregation comes
0: after. Them. But see, I don't I don't think Sophie is a human either, um, because when Matthew and Hamish had their conversation. Um, you know, and and Matthew admitted to Hamish that he loved Diana. Hamish says something about, oh, who are they to tell us who we can love anyway? And, you know, they've never told me. And Matthew says, but demon and human relationships aren't threatening to the congregation, so they wouldn't worry about yours, you know. So it's kind of like we know now Hamish has had relationships with humans before, and that's never been an issue. And Matthew says, because demons and humans I don't think that would be a threat because if you think about a human is a non-magical being so if you mix a demon and a human and you do produce an offspring that offspring more than likely is not going to be as magical so that it's not much of a threat you know you're basically diluting the gene pool so why would that be a threat now if sophie is a witch And, you know, Nat is a demon and they produce a a mixed species child in that way, that might be a a issue, you know, but we don't know yet. We just know she says that she needs to tell Agatha the truth about her family and what she is. So, of course, now I'm kind of like, okay, because we've never got confirmation so far as to what sophie is i mean we've you know the last since we've been introduced to them we've been kind of like okay well we know for sure that nat is a demon because his mom's a demon and he has said as much we've never heard sophie say anything about what she actually is
4: i want to point out one little book thing really quick about hamish uh one of the reasons why he said that about the human relations is that in the book hamish is gay so God, he, that? That's what I was thinking. I was mm, thinking, yeah. he, he, not only was it a human, it was a gay, it was a male human. Right, so, right, they, right. Uh, yeah.
1: yeah. So that maybe they wouldn't they wouldn't care as much about that. Right. As they would care about maybe someone who could
4: produce offspring. Mm. That's what I was thinking because yeah, they they basically leave Hamish alone. They they don't touch him at all regarding that.
0: Okay. Yeah, and that that would make sense because he can't produce offspring that way. So. There really wouldn't be a threat to them with you know the possibility of a. If he
1: could, that would really, really,
0: really be a problem. <laughs> <You know? laughs> that, that would there's be. A, a That's <laughs> a whole other conversation. Like uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah.
3: <laughs>
0: but even in that way, you know, um, Diana, you know, she has a conversation with her aunts. She calls them and she she basically tells them that. She's in love with Matthew. You know, she tells them that they had a visit from Domenico, and she was like, "Why didn't Why didn't I ever know about the covenant?" And I mean, it, it's so funny because when she asked that question, I had to catch my thinking because I saw I start to say, "Stupid! You were the one. You you was the one who denounced. You know, your witch ancestry or your witch. You know, heritage. But you know, if I guess it's a logical question to ask, but I mean, even even uh, Sarah was like, well, you turned your back on the witches. You didn't want to know anything about your powers. Why would we tell you about the covenant? We didn't think that that was going to apply to you. You know, it had no relevance to your life. Why would we tell you about a rule about interspecies dating when you didn't even want to acknowledge the fact that you're a witch? And she's like, yeah, about that, um... I love Matthew and there's nothing anybody can do about it. So yeah, covenant. And they're, you know, they're, they're trying to convince her. They're like, no, you, you can't do that. The, the congregation won't allow it. Um, you, you can't put yourself in this kind of trouble. And she says, uh, you know, I called you guys because I figured you would understand more than anybody. And it's like, at that point, they can't, say anything because here they are two lesbian women and how are you gonna how are you gonna be in a relationship that most that most people are trying to tell you is not right you know what i'm saying and then your your niece has also fallen in love with someone that she's being told that she's not supposed to be with and you're gonna tell her no that's such a hypocrisy and i think at that point when she said that they were both kind of like Oh, and then Emily was like, well, honey, we're just saying that because the congregation is not going to let you go. Like, like it was like one of those very quickly, like, how are you How are you going to tell me I can't do this? And Emily's like, oh, well, we're not saying you can't. We're just trying to warn you because the congregation is going to come after you. And Diana's like, whatever, I don't care. Again, I love this character because she's just kind of like, you know what? Y'all are not going to tell me what to do. Like anytime anybody tries to control her, in this show she basically is like I have my own mind I can decide what I want when I want how I want it and go after it and I mean even Hamish tells Matthew this later on because he realizes Matthew is kind of holding himself back and we find out Matthew's fear is that because Diane is a historian. He's like, you know, I'm her latest research subject. And Hamish is like, oh, you're, wor- you're worried about her finding out about your past. And he basically tells Matthew, he was like, look, I know about your past and I love you. Like, look, let let's just put it all on the line. There's a lot of things we can control in this world. Love is not one of those. If she loves you, if you love her, don't let anything stand in the way of that. And it's kind of like... He, he tells him, he says, don't make the mistake of thinking for her. And that's all Matthew has been doing pretty much this whole series. Like, he's been making decisions for her, trying to protect her. But, I mean, you fell in love with her. One of the reasons you stated was because of her bravery. And like you told Hamish, she's courageous. Trust that. Let her make her decisions and let really? her, you know...
2: Yeah, because the, the one thing is, dude, she's basically been telling you that the whole time.
0: Like, she's constantly is showing you that no one's going to tell her what to do or what to think. Exactly. You know, that's
2: number one. Number two is, she's just, it, it's just really, I don't want to say strange or odd, but it's like, she's basically saying, I've lived my whole life not knowing about the covenant and not being a part or aware of the congregation or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So just because I know about it, I should all of a sudden go by the rules. Just like he is, I was around and doing all my thing before there was a congregation. So I didn't say I wanted to be a part of the congregation. So why should I be bothered with the (laughs) rules?
0: Yeah, I mean, he's a rebel. You would think that he would, right? They don't
2: operate in that world the same way everyone else in that world operates, right? They have been outside of that, and now all of a sudden, because they want to be together, everybody wants to put them in it now. Yeah, and 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 that's that's never going to work out for anyone on the opposite side hardly ever does no It never does it's, i mean especially with two i
1: mean one strong willed person is enough but you have both of them having extremely strong wills that you're just not going to break haphazardly like they're gonna have to put in work to get them to make them quote unquote fall in line and like they like they want them to they're not going to do it because their weight. they're like screw you guys and especially and, I mean, with they, diana's know,
0: powers have, now you know, with her powers.
1: Yeah, they have, they, they, yeah, it's like, she's like, we are right. And if she ever learns to control them, it's like, she, she's not going to listen to anybody, not even Matthew, while she listen? listening. <laughs> <laughs> she, she's literally going to be, I mean, once she once she gets her, you know, her airbender anger powers together, and, you know, <laughs> the fire and the wind and the earth, and all that other shit. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Which we find
0: out, (laughs) which we find out is not too far off base because Matthew, when he's back at the lab, he tests her DNA and um, they find genetic markers that they say they've not seen in any of the other witch DNA. Like she basically has air, and water, which is why she was able to summon the witch wind and the witch air, uh, the witch water. And then she also has earth, which means she should be able to cast spells because, you know, with most spells, you're pulling from nature. So, yeah, when I when I heard that part of the episode, I was like, she's Aang. <laughs> she She's an airbender.
2: <laughs>
0: would, but she's also, an avatar. Like,
2: did he say, say, like, she has Every genetic marker.
0: Every you know, of of genetic marker. So far. She's, she's
2: every witch. <laughs> it's all in her. So, so she witched. Like, like I said, I mean, did it say that there were originally four, like, four main witch, like,
0: clans yeah, yeah, or, yeah, mm-hmm. or
2: whatever? Mm-hmm. And she has the genetic markers from all four yes. Witches which sounds like to me that she is a direct descendant of the original witch right
0: right, right. which
2: is probably why she
1: has all that mm-hmm uh, that's interesting yeah She's it's, it's gonna
2: be it's gonna be interesting but remember what i said about prophecies usually it takes a person who's extremely powerful to fulfill a prophecy right so whatever the prophecy is how it's supposed to shake out if she is for one, then that that means she's gonna need all of that power
1: to do as she needs to. Do. Yeah, like you said, proxies usually usually said it said to involve someone who has power, and nine times out of ten they don't know they have that power mm-hmm. until they need they really need it. Uh-huh. So that's yes, her all over. I mean, it's just just like I mean, she she's basically the so we have a connection to Curse Now. <laughs> 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 we, <laughs> and we, Anakin, Aang. And we, right. and this, this goes on and on. Literally every every science fiction underdog hero. Yeah. Up in one.
4: But, yeah. It, but it's kind of cool because we don't, for once, we don't have a quote unquote teenager, you know. Now we have a full realized actual adult who makes up her own mind and who basically. You really haven't seen her away from any of her principles this entire time. I mean, she might be open to listening, maybe, but she's a fully realized adult, which I think is cool and different.
0: Yeah, she's not compromising who she is for all of mm-hmm. this, you know? But um let hey, okay, so let's go back to Oxford real quick because we gotta talk about Matthew. So as I mentioned earlier, Matthew uh recognize the, the scent that was in his lab and we find out that the scent belongs to Jillian so Jillian's dumbass has tried to break into the lab of vampires I don't you know of course we know that Sylvia says that Knox basically wanted them to try to find out everything they could about Matthew try to figure out what he's doing so of course she tries to she's the one that tried to break into his lab so they're showing matthew going after jillian at the same time that isabelle is taking diana hunting and i like the way that they did these scenes because Isabel is explaining to diana about the hunt and about how relentless and focused vampires are when they are hunting their prey and as she's saying this we we see matthew on the oxford campus and he first approaches jillian's house and of course jillian is not there so he uses his senses to kind of pinpoint where she is so we find Them both walking down like a a deserted alley. Like Jillian's leaving. Matthew is behind her. And she kind of senses him behind her. And when she turns around, he's right there in in her face. And I was like, oh, bitch, you about to get it. (laughs) I was like so excited because, like I said, I don't feel like Jillian started any of this out of spite or anger. I really think that she was... Trying to protect the coven, but for all of the damage that her good she's, intentions—she's
2: also concerned about. She's also concerned for. Um, Diane, James
0: yeah, says, yeah.
2: Says she has a prejudice about the vampires.
0: Right. So
2: the vampires are evil and mean and can't be trusted. She's being a busybody, uh, that's
1: what it is. And she she'd be busy finding another wig. I ain't studying her. <laughs> <laughs> the, only made me happy. The, only, the only thing the only thing that would have made me happier is this when her head falls back, the wig fell off. Then you know I would I would just be like this is the perfect episode. It's freaking awesome. But you know what? Just, this is what she gets because she's not she's not equipped or not equipped to handle being sneaky. She's only doing she's doing something she has no depth in to try to impress and that's an easy way for her to get teeth in her neck. <laughs> she doesn't know how to be stealthy, doesn't know how to keep how to keep her mouth shut, and she doesn't know how to lie at all. She is the worst liar
0: ever. She looked dead and dead in um Marcus and she couldn't come up with a lie at all. At Matthew and she and this,
1: this is not the first time that she's done that. This is not the first time that she's she's shown that she cannot she cannot lie. So she doesn't she is she's not built to be up there where she thinks she's going to be. But
0: I don't think she was trying to lie to him. I don't think she was trying to lie to him. Like he, when he confronted her, of course he starts taunting her because um, I'm guessing that she's just like a professor's assistant or a teaching assistant and you know he he tries to kind of get under her skin. He's like he was like, "Oh, he was like, look at you, still uh, you know, still grading papers." He was like, "Is that why you, you know, you're jealous of Diana?" And she's like, "I'm not jealous of her." And he was like, "Oh yeah, why why did you uh, why did you break into the lab? Tell me what you're looking for." And I don't think she was trying to lie to him. I think her telling him what they were looking for and her saying the things that she said to him, I think that in a way that was her trying to stand up to him to kind of show him that she wasn't scared of him because she literally was like, you know, um, she said, I was concerned for her, you know, being with being with you, being with the vampire. She was like, Knox was right. Your kind will, you know, we will be better off. Uh, the sooner your kind is wiped off the earth, the better we'll all be. And I, I really think that she was just trying to stand up to Matthew to say, okay, you know what? You don't scare me. You don't intimidate me. But of course, this was the wrong thing to say to Matthew because he's already pissed. And so he, you know, he takes that as an invitation. Oh, you're not going to tell me the truth. You're not going to tell me why you were in my lab. Okay, I have other ways to find out. And so he bites into her neck. And, you know, he, he sees her memories and um, sees that she did you know, they didn't take anything. You know, she's looking around for something and she finds the locked um, case that he has Diana samples in and she tries to spell it open. Of course she can't. So she just takes pictures of it and of course he sees all of this. But, um, you know, he pretty much drains... I think he probably drained everything but the, the smallest amount of blood... To ensure that he wouldn't kill her you know he's like okay yeah i got the information i needed from you but he kept himself from from doing that final thing which again shows a lot of control that that he has as a vampire because most other vampires would have been like okay you know what you're no use to me now i'm gonna kill you but no he left her alive not only that dropped her in the street and left her there like she was trash. I was just like, you know, Matthew, that was cold, but you know, he dropped her in the, he dropped her in the street, he grabbed her phone out of her purse and a, another little plastic bag, which we find out later, um, had a strand of Diana's hair. So I don't know if she found that in the lab or if she, I mean, she may have had that strand of hair at her house because Diana had visited her, but you know, I, I'm assuming she was planning on turning all of that over to Knox. But yeah, he just kind of left her like a dog in the street. And I was like, that's what you get. <laughs> Which is so bad. But she deserves it. Yeah, my
2: first thought was, man, someone's going to find the body. they're you know, Like, oh, he didn't kill her. <laughs> but, you know, he just left her right there like he, in
0: the middle of the street. Right, and, and even like, if wow. she... And it's almost like... like He looked at her like he considered, um, you know, maybe picking her up or disposing of her or whatever the case may be. It's like he looked at her and he considered her and he turned around and he kept on walking. I was like, wow, you are really like nothing to him. And I don't even think, again, I don't think it's the fact that he doesn't like her because I think he probably feels pity for her. But I think it's the fact that what she took pictures of had to do with Diana. Diana. And Matthew is all about protecting Diana. So he's like, you were supposed to be her friend. You betrayed her and you were continuing to betray her. Yeah, you're garbage. I have no use for you. Yeah, let me go on ahead and throw you in the street like the dog you are. It was cold. It was cold. But she deserved it. I mean, you know but they, you know, right. Right. So of course she, she finds enough strength to crawl to Sylvia's house and drag herself. right. So Sylvia calls the congregation and she lets them know. And the other vampire representative, and I think his name is Sigismund. I don't know if the, I'm pronouncing that right, but that's how it's spelled. He's telling Knox and Satu about Jillian's attack and, um, you know, Knox is trying to find out, like, did, did they find out what did she, was she able to find out what they were studying or what they had? And he's like, yeah, they're studying witch DNA. And Knox is of course concerned. He's like, why are they testing witches DNA? And while he's saying this, Satu is looking at him like she's giving him an interesting look like she's never seen him before. And Sigismund Is like, well, why was she even there? Like, why would she go to a vampire's property? Why would she break into the lab? Like, she knows she could have been killed because apparently, for them to go on each other's property, for vampires to go on witch property, witches to go on vampire property, or demon—all of that is forbidden. It's not supposed to happen. So the fact that she was even there is kind of like, why would you do that? And Satu is looking at Knox like. You put her up to this. And you can just kind of see the gears turning in Satu's head, you know. And and then later on in the courtyard, she's there and Knox comes out to speak to her. And she says, we need to find out what Diana Bishop is hiding. We need to find out the extent of her powers. We need to open her up. And Knox mentions an opening spell <laughs> And he says that that is too dangerous for them to do because the person who has it done to them um, rarely survives the trauma. And it also leaves the spellcaster caster traumatized. Um, and apparently this is a form of dark magic where they can actually look into someone and see what's going on. So basically he tells her, no, this is not something that we can do. It's too, you know, it's too dangerous. It's too much of a risk. And then she questions him about Baldwin. She was like, do you think Baldwin wants her for himself? Um, have you ever thought about working with the other vampires against Baldwin? And Knox is like, wait, did you already do this? Have you talked to them? And she was like, of course not. But, you know, she's putting feelers out there. And Peter, uh, Knox is like, Domenico is a sneak. Can't be trusted. He was like, Javertis. Is you just don't want to fuck with him because there's rumors that he's been keep, keeping a witch um, captive for centuries. Centuries. He's like, nah, don't you touch, don't you go near them, stay away from them. And Satu is looking like so immediately you already know with the way with the way I told you, I feel like Satu is about male dominance and the patriarchy and how she feels about that. Knox telling her not to do this you already know she's going to do this because she wants to know what's going on. She doesn't like being kept in the dark. And something about Diana is like really intriguing her. Like it's kind of like one of those things where she's just like, I just want to know what is it about this one chick? Like, why is everybody wanting to be around her? Like what would cause one of the oldest vampires we have to forego all of the rules for her. She's just. I think she's just wanting to know like. What is it about this witch? Like. How powerful is she? What is she doing? And you already know. She's about to dis- disobey Knox. Because later on in the episode. We see. She goes to see bear So. She's already plotting and scheming. Again. I think. Probably. I don't know if she wants to try to take over being the representative from Knox. Somehow I feel like it's bigger than that for her. But still, it's kind of like she's looking at Knox like like she has no trust and no faith in Knox at this point. You can see it. You can feel it. And Knox still...
2: I think you hit, I think you hit, hit it pretty closely there. She's just carrying it. It's like she's fascinated with Dana and she wants to know what kind of powers she has and, and possibly how can I acquire those powers,
3: right? You know, and I-,
2: and I think because she, in her own right, she knows that she's very powerful, And she can't imagine that someone would be as powerful as her. And, like you said, why are all these people so interested in her? Mm-hmm. Like, she was able to get this book. She's got you know Matthew wrapped around her finger. She's got Knox all you know. This Up and all, you're right, everything is, is, is upheaval because of this one thing. She wants to know. Right, I can understand that. I would be like, I, I need to know why. We, we need to figure out why, especially since she read that file and the file said that she had no powers.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, she could even feel that Diana had yeah. some kind of powers, but. Uh, of course, and she she said she felt like Diana blocked them or something. She was like, how are you doing this? And we know later, you know, before she gets to Jaber's, when she's on her way, Jaber is in his home and he goes to his witch that he's been keeping captive, apparently, for centuries. And the witch keeps repeating her prophecy and she says, "Beware!" At, at first, her prophecy said, "Beware of the witch with the bl- with the blood of the lion and the wolf." Now her prophecy says, "Beware of the witch with the blood of the lion and the wolf, for with it she shall destroy the children of the night." And then Jabert starts asking pointed questions: "Is Diana Bishop the witch? Who is it?" And then she says, um, "She says there are two witches: one light, one dark." And Jabeir's like, wait, two witches? Is is one Diana Bishop? Who is it? And she says one is close. And he was like, who is it? Who you know? Tell me who it is. So she, and then of course Satu appears on his doorstep. And when Satu walked in, he's standing there in the foyer, and he's looking at her with this really creepy grin. He's like, he looked like I. It was the creepiest thing, but. I guess at this point, he was trying to figure out, I I guess he figured that Satu was probably the dark witch because obviously Diana is the light witch because I don't think the Ashmole manuscript would have presented itself to a dark witch. You know, the book of life wouldn't present itself to a dark witch, I don't think. So I think at this point, he's like, oh, this is how this is going to play out. And she just appeared on my doorstep. So you know it's about to be some fuckery going on with with those two.
1: Shout out to the director for actually color coding the witches so we know which one is like <laughs> okay so we got the dark one with the dark hair and we got the light one with the light <laughs> hair. We don't get confused. I appreciate them doing that. Mm-hmm. Good looking at it. Yeah. Yeah. Decline singing, which and singing the Allison Chain's hit "Witch in the Box" again because I think Pretty much covered that last time. But that's just creepy, man. Like I, I feel sorry for the for the poor witch guy. First, when he they said that that yeah, he he keeping a witch, I was like, wait, Juliet's a vampire. What are they talking about? Then he brings out, then he brings the head. Out. I'm like, ah, oh, got it, tracking now.
0: And he's like, feeding, I mean, and he's feeding it vampire really, blood. Blood,
1: yeah. And it's just weird man And it, it's like that's the that's the one thing that he has a that's a huge advantage that he has that he it doesn't look like he i don't know how often he uses it but you think he use it more often than he does because that that's a really huge advantage to have over pretty much everyone else in the congregation mm-hmm. to have that have i would have i would
2: have thought that but you know, as powerful as Javier is, I don't think he's the sharpest tool in the box because she she seems to speak in riddles and he would have to figure out the riddles. I mean, he has had hundreds of years to do this. Right. But, you know, how long do you think she's been saying this prophecy? And, And things like the way prophecies work, they don't really work until it's time. So mm-hmm. he's probably she's probably said something about a light witch and a dark witch before and now the dark witch shows up. Or he doesn't hear that part until the dark witch shows up. Right. So I'm saying all that to say is is that she, it might be an advantage if he could figure out what the hell she's talking about. She may have she may have over the years given him given him information that he has had mm-hmm. to try to decipher or figure out but for
0: him it's probably the novelty of having the head of a very powerful witch you know at his beck and call that's probably more appealing to him than the fact that she can give him information mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? usual narcissistic misogynist controlling uh dominating egotistical uh, just yeah He's probably like, I've got a witch and y'all don't know it, you know. And every once in a while,
2: she says something that's kind of (laughs)
4: cool. Yeah. Yeah. It could simply be that no one else knows that he has the witch and that he maybe is fooling the the viewers because, yes, he appears to be not that bright, but if he is candy enough to keep a witch under lock, and I'm checking she's a very powerful witch, for centuries... That, that indicates that there's at least uh, some intellect that maybe slid past people because I can't see someone like her Going missing and no one knows who the old girl's hasn't been in her house for like 250 years.
0: Right. Well, so like, somebody like, had to know
4: it was somewhere along
0: the way. Yeah, like they said, it's been rumored that he has kept a witch in thrall, but no one has been able to prove it. So
2: it's like Lord of the Rings. When it happened, it was fact. You know, fact becomes
0: legend, and no time, mm. becomes myth. So, they're like, oh yeah,
2: there's a rumor that he has a witch enthralled, but no one really knows. Because, you know, a long time ago, records weren't that great. Mm-hmm. If a witch happens to disappear, who, who knows? You know what I'm saying? And yeah. that rumor got out that he might have one, but no one actually knows. And Yeah, yeah, whatever. He says he has a witch enthralled, but, you know, come on now. It's, if it's a powerful witch... The vampire just wouldn't, wouldn't have her. You know, the witches wouldn't stand for that. So no one actually believes it. It's just the rumor that makes him scary for witches. You know what I mean? Yeah, so but... It's probably vampires who know the truth, but they don't really talk about it because of whatever the covenant is, because that would be a really bad thing right? for him to have a witch enthralled that everyone actually knows that he does. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. I'm not, I mean, I'm not dis- completely
0: disagreeing with you. I'm just yeah.
2: saying I, I don't. I think over time these things become, you know, mythic and it's easier for people to not believe
0: it. And then how would you even? How would you even prove that? Because if witches and vampires are not allowed on each other's property, the witches wouldn't be able to find her. Even if the vampires knew, the vampires wouldn't tell. You know, and again, you know, we talk about how the witches can be powerful and you would think that they would be able to do, you know, hold their own, I guess, against the vampires using spells or whatever. But just like when Matthew appeared at Diana's uh, rooms and Knox was there, Knox was, was very visibly, uh... You know, if not frightened, he was very visibly concerned, you know, with Matthew's presence there. He really didn't try Matthew like you would think. And also, just thinking about what Matthew said to Diana later on in the episode about her elemental magic, it would appear that only the most powerful of witches have access to more than one. That, at least that's the, that's what I kind of took from that. So, you know, maybe some of the witches can do the wind stuff, but not the air and not the spells. Maybe some of them can cast spells, but they can't control the wind or the water. So, you know, maybe Satu and Diana are... Powerful in their own right, because they can control one or more of those elements. Of course, Diana, if she has every single genetic marker for which we already know that she can pretty much do everything. And that's probably what makes her um, so coveted amongst them all. And maybe that's also why Knox was trying to, you know, test her. When she was a child, maybe, maybe he had some inkling. Again, we don't know how powerful Diana's parents were, but if her mom was a powerful witch and he thought that she, that it was passed on to Diana, then maybe that's why he tried testing her when she was younger. You know, maybe he was like, "Oh, we got a powerful witch, or we have the possibility of a powerful witch. Let's go test her." And then, of course, he tested her and gets nothing. That's kind of like dead end, whatever. I'm,
4: I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this out, okay? Um, I don't know how many have read Mercedes Lackey's books, the Valdemar Herald series, but Diana is very reminiscent. All the witches are reminiscent of this thing they have called heralds, where they all have a certain base level of power. But because they have familiars that are companions, which are white horses, so that's either here or there. Uh, Van, uh, Aske of who's the lead in uh, Magic's Prawn, Magic's Prize, Magic's Fate and all that. Anyway, Van was uh, just a regular herald trainee until something tragic happened. And it really blew all his powers out. I mean, he had force sensing, force thought, fire, water. I mean, he had like, there's like 15 powers. He had like 16 of them. Okay. And the rest of the, the heralds, you know, you had uh, one, Bernie Bright, the book that she wrote, where you had uh, Garrett, was a fire star. You have uh, Queen's Herald, where Talia was good with uh, mind speech. So basically, I see that is sort of kind of what we're looking at here, is that they all have certain things, and they might have had, at one time, all of them are close to. Because like in the Valdemar series, they all are heralds, are all or this, but none of them were mages until Van, and then they was the last of the mages. So it's possible that she's literally the last most powerful quote-unquote herald mage of their world. Mm. And that because of that, they've been either looking for her or they forgot that they used to have people as souped up as she was. Hmm. And I gotta go rest of the podcast.
0: <laughs> That's interesting to think about. Huh. Okay. But way anyway, it goes, no, because, because, because it's, I think it's interesting to have other viewpoints that we pull from other series and other lore, because it kind of gives us more to think about as far as where this series might be going and where these characters might be going. You know, of course, a lot of authors, they, they always pull from common lore, when it comes to fan, fantastical and, you know, supernatural species. But a lot of authors add their own elements to it to kind of make it theirs. And so, again, we don't know what Diana is right now. We just know she's powerful. We know she's powerful enough that Satu is interested. Like, okay, I need to know what what this woman is. Like, how, how powerful is she? You know, she's, I mean, if she's, if she's considering teaming up with Jaber to get her answers because she knows she can't trust Knox, we already know she's she's willing to go. She's willing to break rules in order to get this information. So obviously it's very important to her for some reason. If not just for the fact that she's curious, then maybe like what Anthony says, maybe she's interested in seeing if she can take her powers. I don't know if that's something that witches can do. Um, you know, whether they can absorb each other's powers like that, at least in this series, I don't know, but that, that's an interesting perspective, you know, maybe maybe she's trying to become the most powerful witch and then she could put Knox down, which would be so lovely to see. But, you know, yeah, I mean, that could be the possibility.
1: Knox going down period would be great to see. I'm
0: about to I'm at my father card height with him. Oh, yeah okay um let's go back for a moment to Isabel and Diana um because as I mentioned before Isabel has spent the majority of this episode trying to deter Diana from um I guess solidifying her relationship with Matthew and as Mike mentioned earlier um we find out a little bit more about Matthew's past so Isabel takes Diana to the town and she's basically telling her okay if you plan to be with him you kind of need to know his story and this also answers some questions that we had on the last podcast as far as matthew's beginnings how isabeau uh, sired him when she might have sired him and how that kind of ties in with philippe being his stepfather and all of that so we find out that matthew um was born in the village was raised by human father became a craftsman like his father and uh, actually built the church they go into the church and they find the um, they find a remembrance stone built into the floor of the church and it is for someone named Blanca and Lucas which we find out was Matthew's wife and five-year-old son when he was human and they died after a fever kind of overtook their their whole village. They, they got sick and died. Matthew was left to mourn them. And what happened next is Matthew apparently fell from, from the tower of the church and no one knows whether he actually jumped on purpose or whether he was up there and slipped and fell. But Isabel found him on the ground, broken and dying. And she offered him, um, you know, a way to end his suffering and eternal life. And him being in excruciating pain accepted the offer, I think not knowing exactly what it was that she was offering. And so once he was sired, he was very angry about, being an immortal about being a vampire, and um, according to Isabel, he he kind of acted out, he he would leave for periods of time, and apparently, uh, she said his bloodlust was kind of out of control, which means that when he left, he was probably out like killing like crazy, he was probably committing massacres. And um, you know, she says that every time he came back, she was F- Philippe forbade her from asking where he had been because he didn't want uh, her to know the extent of Matthew's activities. Um, so, you know, we, we find out a little bit about that and Isabel kind of tells Diana that she felt like when she sired Matthew that the gods were giving her the opportunity to make a child. And then Diana also makes a comment to her. She was like, if I could give him my blood to save him, I would. So I think she was kind of, she was trying to bond with Isabel at that point. But also Isabel's statement kind of, it was interesting to me because the way that she said that, she said she felt like the gods were, was the gods were giving her an opportunity to make a child. That kind of made me feel like Matthew is the firstborn for her as far as sired children instead of Baldwin. You know? The, the, and, and, well,
2: well, maybe Baldwin was sired by Philippe. Yeah, ah.
0: That's that, Yes, and then that would explain why he is... why he uh, succeeded Philippe as far as being... Yeah, head of the congregation. Okay, that does make sense because I was thinking, yes. okay... Maybe I was thinking maybe Matthew didn't succeed because he was unpredictable. You know, if he's going out committing atrocities because he's pissed, he's a vampire. That's not necessarily the person you want leading a supernatural <laughs> congregation. You know, but yeah, that 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 kind of yeah, makes I, I more think it's sense.
2: more likely that Baldwin was sorry by Philippe.
0: Yeah. That that makes that makes more sense, but it's it's interesting to uh, hear Matthew's backstory because now we know exactly like where he where he came from and how he came to Isabel. So apparently, Isabel had watched him grow up like his whole life, and that that was something that we we learned when. Matthew first brought Diana to set tour because as they were driving through the town, you know, everyone kind of stopped and looked at the car and she asked him, do the villagers know about you? And he says, yes, vampires can stay in one place when they feel more protective or when they feel like their, um, I guess their their secret or their identity is not going to leak out. So apparently everyone in the village knows about them being vampires and it's just kind of like okay we know and it's just not anything that we really talk about and apparently this is rare but it's not unheard of because when Nathaniel is having his meeting later on in the episode with other demons who responded to his forum there's one particular demon who says that um, on campus there are witches who knows that he's a demon and they don't have a problem with it he also mentions that there are humans that know you know, what he is and he doesn't have any issues. And of course, some of the other demons are like, well, what humans are you talking about? Cause he's like, you know, it's not really a big deal to them, you know? And I, I just think maybe it's because that guy was just so jovial. Like he was like, yeah, witches know what I am and they don't care. Yeah. Humans know what I am and they don't care. Like, I don't know. Maybe that's just his personality that they're like, oh, this is what you are. Okay. Well, you still cool so we can hang and then you've got the other ones who are probably more uptight, so people are probably more weary. But apparently humans, knowing about them is not an unheard of thing. It's probably just not a widely known thing, you know, which I find is interesting.
1: Yeah, plus it's, I mean, it'd probably be really hard to find someone like, like I, think, I think the four of us, if we found out that one of us was a vampire, we'd probably be like, yeah, okay, sure, whatever but if we but if it's someone else who is like less open-minded about it it's mm-hmm. like you know i mean that that and that's really it's really hard to find someone especially a human who is really not that who really is open-minded and not them just talk to talk about it like you know when presented he's like yeah you know, if someone comes up to someone says hey i'm a demon it's like yeah whatever. Yeah. I believe you then he like shows up his true face. And he's like, ah, it runs off, like it runs off. Like he's like, le- like he's being chased. Right. It's different. So, I mean, that's, really hard to find. that's another way that it gets to be really lonely being a vampire is that, you know, you got, you have, you, you don't have lasting friendships. You don't have a lot of people you can trust outside of other vampires who tend to be, who tend to want to ride solo or who are ambitious and might, you know, do something to do something to your detriment so it's still look very lonely in like a solo solo life for for them and it's hard to find somebody who actually doesn't care who yeah. They are yeah yeah
0: you know the other thing I like about this series is uh you know just kind of um adding on to what you just said Mike I like the fact that with these species, like, okay, we're all familiar with vampires and though, you know, their characteristics, their traits, kind of, they're kind of consistent throughout lore and throughout the ages, the same thing with witches. What I like about this show is when it comes to the demons, the demons are not your traditional what they expect, what what we expect them to be like. We've always been, we're always told, especially when it comes to Christianity and religion, like demons are evil. They're of Satan. They are there to um, basically bring chaos to your lives and do evil and all this other stuff. And this particular series doesn't necessarily paint them that way. You know, it's kind of like, They're almost like regular people. They're like regular humans. They just happen to be demons. And again, we haven't learned a lot about demons specifically in this series yet, as far as what makes them demons, like what makes them different from the witches and the vampires. You know, we, we know that obviously they can be born of humans. So it's just kind of one of those things where it's like, okay, so what makes them demons? because they're obviously not all evil. I mean, I don't look at I don't look at Nat and think evil. I don't look at Agatha and think evil. Just what we've seen, like Agatha is a very loving mother. She's comforting to her son and his partner. You know, she's a she's an excited grandmother to be. It just that's not what I expect from what we traditionally know about demons.
4: Well, in the in the book series again, spoilers. In the book series, the only really thing that they designate the demons are different is that I think I talked about this a little bit last episode. Their brains, uh, when you x-ray them, ping like thousand points of light. The only distinction I can get is that demons are born Albert Einstein level geniuses and above. But it doesn't kick in again, like most tropes, until they're teenagers or late teenagers. So you can go up until, say, you're 20, maybe even 25 years old, thinking you're a human. And then one day, something snaps in your brain, and you suddenly have an IQ of 450.
0: Wow. And
4: that's basically the only thing that I got from the books, other than the fact that if you are a demon, you are very, very artistic. You're very, very creative. But that also leads right into paranoia mental illness uh chaos the demons in the book are portrayed as being very 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 unstable okay like barely holding on to reality because they're so smart their brain can't cope
0: hmm that is interesting okay Hmm. (laughs) okay okay So let's see, what have we not talked about yet? Okay, so going back to Diana and Sator.
2: I'm sorry, I I just had a thought. Well, well maybe, maybe demons in this context are not demons as we think they are. Like our traditional beliefs of demons, maybe they're not demons in that respect. So you know, it's what kinda like would they be? you read his dark materials and they call their demons demons, they're actually the demons that we think of. So maybe in this context, they're not the traditional, like,
0: you know, horns or those demons that we think of. Hmm. You know what
2: I'm saying? Like maybe it's something, it's, it's a magical creature, but it's something different. You know what
0: I mean? Yeah. So... That makes
2: sense. Like we have to get out. We have to get outside of our head. That that the demons that we traditionally think of, they they're not you know these souls or these creatures from hell. They're just a different magical race.
0: Yeah, that's what I was gonna ask. So is it okay? So again, we know that demons can be born of humans. So I wonder if it's just that in thinking about Lori's description. Is it just that they're probably like human, but they're a little more elevated than human, which accounts for their supernatural IQ. You know, they may have a little bit of magical element to them, but they're not so elevated as to be considered like a witch or a vampire. Like, are they like... I don't know. Are they like the runts of the supernatural group and that's why they call them demons and that's why they kind of ostracize them because they're not magical enough to be on the same level as vampires and witches but they're not low enough to be just humans or throwaways or ignored. I mean, are they kind of, I mean, that's that's kind of how I'm how I feel like like they're the runt of the supernatural group and that's how they're treated. You know, they're ostracized. They're they're not allowed to congregate. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just...
2: <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I have a theory.
0: Oh, okay.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Demons are... Okay, stay with me on this. Okay. Maybe the demons are the raw material for the other supernatural beings
3: oh maybe witches and vampires don't know or may not realize
2: that demons are let's say like a demon who comes of age or a demon is born with actual magical abilities Mm -hmm. is a witch maybe a vampire is trying to change you know, trying to sire someone maybe that person was the raw material that they sired them and they went for being a demon to becoming a vampire but they may not have known that they were demons to begin with since we know that demons are randomly born to humans hmm. I'm, just,
3: I'm
2: just throwing that I like there. that. I'm i just throwing I, it out there I, that, I like that. that would be I, in yeah. relation to Maybe mm-hmm. they added the, yeah. the information that's in the book of life, that this is what you need to make a vampire. Mm-hmm. This is mm-hmm. what you need make a, uh, a witch. You need or a reverse demon. You process. Gotta start somewhere. Mm. Or reverse the process. Or reverse the Or the You got to start somewhere.
4: Right, because see, the, the way I understand it, the way I'm reading into it, and I actually love what you just said. My thing is, to add on to that, is what if the reason the demons are the lowest of love is that they cannot innately wield or control magic, but they are magic.
2: And this would also explain if, if, if there was a point in time where someone like Philippe and other people knew that that was the case, mm-hmm. they would keep demons from congregating or right. organizing because right. they would understand how much power they have right. over everyone else.
0: And you know, Nat says something like that in the meeting. He says something about the congregation is afraid of them because they're afraid of what they can do if the demons were to come together. How powerful they could be! Like he literally says that in the meeting. So that's that's an interesting theory. I wonder. Okay, see. So uh, also,
1: also, they uh, they they do keep. Um, running records of of witches and their power levels who say they don't have they don't have files on demons and files on vampires to and see how powerful they are too but these are the things that they're tested on and taken at birth so maybe these are people it's just like in in the, the in the movie sky high when they're sorting sorting into like heroes and sidekicks like maybe they're maybe there there's a way to tell you know is it it's just like you know to get them and you and you kind of sort them for black, for a better terms you know but that oh. without the cool talking hat but because um yeah some people who yeah have um like they're like they'll display powers like okay but what should but you know you, you can you can potentially get a witch, but there's no way like, like it just or it just tells what kind they are Instead of calling them squibs, they call them
0: <laughs> See, I had that thought in my head, too. I was like, oh, they're squibs. It's just
2: like, what, what, if, what, what, what if, I know we didn't see the file completely, but what if um, when someone is born to a witch, do so they go and test them, and they don't test with powers, Maybe they put down, oh, well, this might be a demon. Or maybe they're just a plain human. Like at some point, like Lori said, maybe at some point, they're, they're classified as human, as children. But at some point, maybe they become demons because of, you know, they're, where they're from. You know and, what I'm saying? Yeah. And like then if witches where they have a child. And the child was tested and found they have no magic, Then they will bond with the child, and when the child becomes a teenager, they start acting a little strange and weird, and they realize, oh, that's a demon now. Mm. You know what I mean? But then that would also mean that a demon could spawn a child that's a witch, which creates all kinds of problems. (laughs) Right yeah that just creates all kinds of problems for the congregation if they're trying to maintain a certain amount of control and that would also again show you how powerful the demons could possibly be and like i say i think demon is just another word for something other than what we think it means right i think they say demon, but i don't think they really mean the demons in the traditional sense like i say i think they're I, i i'm i'm almost certain if if this isn't something that she put in her in the books, it should be something that she puts in the books. Because it makes <laughs> complete
0: sense to me. Hmm. Okay. So I've already decided I'm gonna start reading those books this weekend because now I'm like so I'm talking about this episode as is, but I already know what's gonna happen in the series because I went ahead and watched the rest of the episodes last night. So even though I'm talking about this episode like I don't know what's coming, I know what's coming, and I know what's been explained and what hasn't been explained. But I feel like there's so much more that's going on in the second season, especially since they released the new they released the final trailer for season two um, a couple of days ago, and that trailer is so freaking intense. There's so much going on in it. And I was like, okay, you know what? I said I wasn't gonna read the book yet because I wanna kinda keep no, I need to I need to go ahead and read so I can kind of get my mind prepared because judging by that that trailer, season two is gonna be nuts. I know. And I don't think I'm I don't think I'm fully know, prepared. Like so yeah, I saw I yeah, saw
1: so like
0: spoiled
1: fuck but then i was like okay i really i really want to know how they did how that happened how that came about and i'm like all right then i I know it's just it's just like you know all the mandalorian ahsoko stuff you see you're like fuck but you're like okay now i need to see how this happens
0: yeah so you just just go ahead and watch the rest of the episodes at this point might just go ahead and watch them just go ahead and get sucked in because because like when i started watching this episode, episode five, I was like, okay, I'm going to stop. I'm going to, you know. And then when I got to the end of the episode, I remembered a little bit from when I watched the series last year, but then I was like, but I don't remember how this ended was like, okay, well, I'll just watch one more episode. So I watched episode six. And then by the end of episode six, I was like, oh no, let me go ahead and go to episode seven. And then after that, I was like, well, I only have one episode left. So let me just go on ahead and finish it out. Like literally the last four episodes, I was just like, yeah, let me just go on ahead and just get this out the way. And I'm glad I did it because there was so much that I didn't remember. From the first time that I watched it. And when I watched it I was like. Oh yeah. That happened. Oh yeah. It, it was kind of like. Mind blown. Like over and over and over again. So I'm kind of glad I did that. But let's get back. Because we, we have a couple of other things. That we need to talk about with this episode. Um. So let's see. Let's see. Um, Diana. Back at Set tour. She is doing some work. And she starts rumbling through, I think it's Matthew's desk or it might be Philippe's desk. I don't think that Isabel would allow her in Philippe's office. But in any case, she's working in an office. There's a desk. She
2: told him she shouldn't let her go in his
0: office. Right, right. But right. But I can't think of like, there's a desk there that she's able to work at. But Matthew, well, then again, it could be Matthew's desk. But I think Matthew... The work that he wanted to do, I think he may have wanted to do it in private, which is why he asked for Philippe's office. So anyway, she's going through the desk and, you know, she finds a child's block with an L engraved on it, which obviously probably belonged to his son. So she's just, you know, kind of looking around as I guess you do, you snooping other people's things while you're working in their office, while you're a guest in their home. I guess. (laughs) And there's a drawer in the desk that's kind of, I don't know if it's stuck or if it's locked, but in any case, she can't just pull the desk drawer open because it doesn't open. So she has to sit there and kind of jimmy it open again. If the desk, if the desk drawer is, is that secure that you can't just easily pull it open. It's probably something you shouldn't be looking at, but okay. You know, we're being nosy. She pulls out. and am supposed find the
1: secret number, though. That's
0: more important. You're supposed to find the secret number. No, you know, <laughs> really, yeah. Not, you know. It's like because like, we have a debt. Like you have to pull
1: the the little middle desk out a little bit in order to pull pull the sides out like that. That's what I, I thought she was going to do. I was like, oh, that's like one of those It kind of has a one of the drawers is actually the lock. We pull it out, it unlocks the other sides. So that way you can pull them out.
0: Oh, that's, oh, that's oh. interesting. That's interesting. Yeah, but, but yes, yeah, was being nosy enough to go down there and
1: find find a lover to open up that drawer, which she had no business being in. But, at any rate...
0: Right, but in it, at ass. any rate, she opens it up, she finds a little box, and the box contains some very old medallions, some very ancient medallions, and um she reads the re- inscription on two of them. And the first one says, um, it says the Knights of Lazarus of Bethany and the other one has Matthew's initials. So I actually looked up the Knights of Lazarus and they were an ancient order from, uh, I believe it was the 1500s. And, um, one of the, um, one of the people in charge of that order uh, his name was Baldwin so I was like okay so this might actually be one of those like real historical things that they throw into the story so I didn't get too much into the research yet because I was like I'm gonna wait and see what comes up with this and then I'm gonna look into it but yeah so I just thought that was something interesting you know apparently that's something that Matthew was a part of Probably way back when, um, and it'll come up. It'll come up later on in the the series. But um, so after Matthew finishes doing his test results for Diana, he calls tour to let Diana know that um, he's coming back. And I think at this point she. Has kind of figured, okay, if he's coming back, he's ready to accept whatever this is. Because as soon as she she meets him when he comes to the castle, and the first thing she says to him is, Tell me. And it's like one of those, um, one of those, uh, I'm about to bear all my feelings moments, you know, and he says, If I do this, there's no turning back. You need to understand what that means. She's like, Isabel already told me she already warned me. You need to say the words. I need to hear this now. You know, she's a little more patient about it, but that's pretty much the gist. She's like, okay, you know what? Stop with this bullshit. Go ahead and tell me what I need to hear. So he declares his love for her and says, you know, from this moment, we will always be one. And of course, Isabel is listening from one of the rooms in the house. And she didn't think that this moment would come because she told Diana in the church, she was like, in 1500 years, Matthew has never made it with anyone and will never mate with anyone. Because if he, you know, if he mates, that means that his life is over once you die. And she just really didn't think Matthew was going to do that. She thought Diana was so lowly or that she was so, you know, flash in the pan, I guess, that this was not something that was gonna happen. But Matthew's like, Nope. You're it in game. This is it. This is what we're doing. And they go in to talk to Isabeau and she just says, Do you know what you're do you realize what you've done? And again, Matthew is very respectful towards Isabeau and everything. He's like, if Diana and I are not welcome here, we'll leave. And she stands up and she looks at him. And I thought she was about to cuss him out because the look that she gave him. She was shooting daggers at him. And she was like, have I ever turned my back on you? And he was like, no. She was like, then why would I do that now? She was like, you're my beloved son. And now you're my daughter. And if you have the courage to, to love him, you don't need to fear your power. You need to embrace it because we declare my women, we fight and defend ourselves, and you're going to have to do the same. So it's kind of like as soon as Matthew said that he loved Diana, Isabel was like, okay, I'm on board. This is what we're doing. This is what we're doing. But this is what you're going to have to do. And she said something about it later on in the episode to Marta. She's like, you know, she's going to have to get a grip on her power or else all of us are going to be in danger. You know, and Marta's like, I think she'll find she'll find a way. What you
2: say? That was one of my favorite scenes. That was one of my favorite favorite things when she's like,
0: basically, you declare Claremont now, so you're gonna have to know that no, You're gonna have to bitch up now. Right. You know, what I'm saying you you
2: can't be fooling around. But that's not what we do.
0: Right. She was like, declare my you know, women. The
4: idea that I, I was gonna say, did anyone get the feeling that when they declared their love, that something kind of magical happened within them, that they are like literally married now? Like, mythically
0: married? I, I think that's mm-hmm. what the whole mating, like I said, I think that's what the whole mating thing is. It's like once Matthew that made is, that okay. declaration, that means that he is bound to her for the rest of his life. Like I said, I feel like the way that they use the word mating, not just him, but the way Baldwin said it, the way Marcus said it, the way Miriam said it. Miriam was like, I'm the only one of us three who has made it before and I know the signs. It made me feel like this is something more than just them getting together, them being in love with someone, it it's literally a melding of the souls, and that's how, that's kind of how I took it. So, when he made that declaration, and even before he said it, he said to her, If I say it, you have to understand what this means. There's no turning back, meaning if I tell you that this is what this is, this is it, this is end game, there's no changing your mind, especially considering the fact. If you have now decided to enter into this forbidden relationship, not only does that speak to your your connection, but you are also publicly declaring to the congregation, fuck your rules and fuck your covenant. This is what we're doing. So you have to be, I feel like, if this is something casual for them, or if this is something they are not willing to give their life for, then this is, you know, it's just one of those things the congregation would probably just kind of look the other way. But given the fact that this is something that they know is punishable and they are still doing it, to me, that feels like a permanent bond. And I feel like that's what mating in this context is. Like they are now permanently bound to each other, especially when Isabel says... You are my beloved son and you are now my daughter. Like there's no pretense there. Like as soon as Matthew made that decision, Isabel also made that decision. You are now a declarement. and you will have to protect yourself as a Declaremont as all of the women in our family have done for centuries. Like there, there's no, there was no sugarcoating in that. There was no, you know, two-stepping, like, literally the moment Matthew made that declaration, everything changed. So, yeah, I feel like that is a permanent bond for them.
4: So it's not just, well, I guess what I'm asking, is i you clarified it, it's not just him, it's his entire, quote, unquote, clan and family that is now magically linked to her.
0: I don't know if... I don't know if it's the clan that's magically linked to them, but the way that I the way that I understand their dynamics just in the way that Marcus and Baldwin have spoken, it's like once they are part of that family, that family defends their family. Like I have a feeling, even though Baldwin is trying to, you know, he's saying that Matthew, if he make you know, if he makes his mistake, he's gotta pay the price and all this other stuff. I have a feeling that now because Matthew has made that decision to mate with Diana, Mm -hmm. I I feel like Baldwin is going to have to kind of acquiesce to that. Maybe not openly. He may have to do some underhanded stuff, but... I feel like if Isabel is saying that you are now my daughter, she's not going to tolerate Baldwin saying, no, we still have to come get her, whatever. I have a feeling Isabel will probably put her foot in Baldwin's ass if he tried that. So I, I don't think the family is magically tied to her, but because Matthew has made this decision that this is his mate, this is who he chose, that automatically the family will back him on that. You know, I think... I understand a lot about what Anthony says as far as vampires and their selfishness, but I think when it comes to families, there is a certain sense of loyalty that is just expected. And we see that with Juliet and Jaber. You know, like Juliet literally will not make a move without Jaber's consent. And we see that later on in the episode when she has her conversation with Domenico. You know, Domenico is basically trying to get her to go after Matthew. He was like, "Yeah, Matthew's in love with with this witch. He doesn't love you anymore." And she's like, she's like, "No, Matthew's in love with me. He's mine." Like she has a very possessive uh materialistic view of her relationship with Matthew. Like it almost feels like she doesn't really love him, but she is it feels like she's obligated to love him. You you see what I'm saying? It's like We already know that Jaber kind of sired her and and created her and, you know, trained her to go after Matthew, trained her to love Matthew. So I feel like at this point, she thinks she's in love with Matthew, but I don't think she really is. I think it's more so this is what Jaber told her. So this is how she's acting. And, you know, again, she tells Domenico that she can't go after Matthew without Jaber's consent. And I think just in that familiar way, um, the families are loyal to each other if they're not, you know, even if the vampires are not loyal to anybody else, they have to be loyal to the family. So if that's the case, Diana got, she's got, she's got probably the most powerful vampire family behind her now. You know, we just have to see if Baldwin is going to get on board. Which again, like I said, I don't think he's not gonna have a choice. He's not gonna he's have a choice. No, he he's, he's, he's not gonna be he's happy, happy about choice. it. That is so, that is yep. that is definite. He's not gonna be happy about it. But um you know, it's it's so funny because uh, Marta comes into the room with Isabel after a while I guess you know Diana and Matthew have retreated to their rooms and Isabel makes this little smart ass remark she was like you think lighting a fire and pouring them wine are going to help them (laughs) and it's like she's (laughs) accepted the decision but she's not really happy about it or I would say she understands that there's about to be some difficult times so she had to make her little snippy remark And Marta's like, look, he loves her. What else are we going to do? She was like, Diana will find a way to protect herself when the time comes. Because Isabel is like, I need her to stop acting like a human. And she needs to step up. Like, if she can't get her magic together, we're all in danger. And Marta's like, I don't think it's going to come to that. You know, Um, like I said, you know, Marta has felt Diana's power from day one, from the from the time Diana set foot on set tour, Marta felt her power, felt what was there. And then they've just been kind of seeing it come out in spurts. So she's like, yeah, I think she'll be okay when the time comes, you know. And um, in the rooms, this is where Matthew uh, is revealing to Diana about her powers and... You know, she she tells him that she's kind of scared because her parents were persecuted for their powers. And Matthew's like, no, this this is not going to be a thing. We're, we're going to get through this together. And then he starts thinking about it. He's like, okay, I need to tell you about what happened in Oxford. Um, and I guess he's about to tell her about what happened with Jillian because, she, you know, that's been kind of we see throughout the episode has been kind of not necessarily weighing on his conscience, but he feels something about it. Maybe not guilt because he feels like he was justified, but still he feels like, okay, I can't keep this from Diana. And he's like, Hey, I need to tell you about Oxford. She's like, no, this is not what we're about to talk about now. We just declared our love for each other. I'm not worried about Oxford right now. Diana is like ready to get down to business. And Again, Lori, um, right here, Matthew does say something to Diana. Um, So, of course, they're, you know, they're making out or whatever. She gets ready to take off his shirt and he hesitates a little bit because he's kind of fearful about what she'll think. So when she takes off his shirt, he has all of these different scars. And, you know, he tells her to look at it as like a map of his life. And, you know, he's got all these things where he's been in these battles or whatever. And, of course, you know, they kind of get a little handsy. They start making out or whatever. And he tells her, um, he basically tells her when, I think he says something like, when you die, my life will be over. So yeah, I think at this point it's like a permanent bond for him. He's basically tell, telling her you are it for me. When you're gone, my life is done. You know, so that that's intense. You know, they've only known each other three weeks. And I think part of it too is, and we've kind of speculated on this, you know, there was a story that we talked about that Diana's mother had told her about a dark prince and we think that that was Matthew that she was talking about so maybe you know the fact that they feel this way about each other and that it's so intense after such a short period maybe it does have to do maybe there is something like destiny wise that they were fated to meet and fall in love and this is part of whatever the bigger picture is you know especially I mean Matthew's been around for 1500 years he's never felt this way about a, another woman even though he's been in love and he's he's said that he's loved other women he's never felt this way about someone else but here this this witch you know this unassuming um unprepared unreluctant reluctant witch um comes in and just basically she sweeps him off his feet. You know, it's just kind of like, I feel like it's one of those things where this was supposed to happen and now it has and we got to see how the congregation is going to react to it because they're, they're about to... They're about to be up against some, some stuff, you know, which we... So the last episode of this of, of the the show is of course the morning after um, Diana and Matthew are in bed. Diana's watching Matthew sleep which is funny because Matthew basically told her that he doesn't really sleep so she must have really worried him out that night. But she gets up <laughs> She gets up and she goes for a run on the grounds and when she stops to take a breath all of a sudden she's like snatched up into the air and flown off the grounds i'm like wait who's flying we know it's not a vampire because we we've been told vampires cannot fly so it's not baldwin even though baldwin told the congregation that he would be the one to come and collect diana so it's kind of like Who's stealing her now? So if vampires can't fly, it obviously can't be Juliet, even though she knows that that's where Diana is. So my thing is, it has to be Satou. That's the only other person because Juliet has an interest, but she's a vampire. She can't fly. Jaber is working with Satou now, we we assume, but he's a vampire. He can't fly, so it has to be Satou. Knox is not gonna be crazy enough to go to the Declaremont home. He's not that stupid. Domenico is not gonna go because Domenico already knows what happened to him yeah, the last time he was yeah, there. He right. You know, oh and uh speaking of which, when they were at the congregation and Knox was Knox was basically saying we demand to have our witch back, we demand she be released from the clutches of Matthew and Blah, blah, blah. And they're kind of like arguing back and forth about who's going to get her. And Jaber's like, I would like to offer my services to go and retrieve her. I am I can be a little more convincing than Domenico was. I was like, he was throwing mad shade at Domenico. And Domenico's looking at him like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all right, motherfucker, I got your, I got your number. Like, it's... Yeah, <sighs> one, in right. And
1: it's
0: awesome. I, I just... I, I don't know. I, I think it was Satu that snatched her. And if that's the case, I... First of all, y'all came on to Set Tour. Y'all came on to Matthew's property and snatched Diana. Matthew is about to be out for blood. He's about to be out for blood. And the fact that Diana was snatched from the home... Like you said earlier, Anthony, Baldwin is going to have no other choice now but to get involved. He's been there. Like, when they talked about it in the congregation about who was going to go retrieve her, you know, Agatha made the suggestion. She said, we shouldn't leave her retrieval up to one species. We should send representatives from all of the species to retrieve her. And Baldwin was like, I am not about to have creatures swarm in my ancestral home. That is not about to happen. So the fact that somebody came onto his property and stole her, that yeah, it's about to be it's about to be owned and popping in the congregation. He literally, he literally
1: talked about everybody coming on his property like vermin. Like he was like, man, y'all like rats. i trying to have it all over here. I don't know.
0: But again, <laughs> it's kind of like,
1: like he, he, he
0: it, it's kind of like they they. They're not supposed to go on like the demons and the vampires are not supposed... Well, I mean, the demons and the witches are not supposed to go on vampire property. That was one of the reasons why Matthew took Diana to set tour in the first place. Because he said no vampire would dare... I mean, no witch would dare cross vampire land. That was one of the whole reasons why he took her there in the first place. Because he figured she would be safe because nobody would approach. Now, and I... I would assume that he figured no other vampire would be there you know with their approach because then they'd have baldwin to deal with
2: well I, I would I would say to Matthew the flip side of that is you can't operate like the rules on the apply to you and expect other people to operate the same way
0: this is true
2: you know I'm, I'm just, just saying you, you don't want you want the rules can't just suit you when they suit you either
0: you're going to follow or you're not. But, well, that's, that's what I was... but on the flip side of that, you know, Matthew, yes, Matthew is not following congregation rules because Matthew's not part of the congregation. The other people there are part of the congregation, which means that they follow the rules. So, uh, yeah, I would I, I think if I was Matthew, I would expect that, okay, they, they, they have to follow the rules. At least because... I mean, think about it. You wouldn't expect someone not on the congregation to have the balls to approach that Like you couldn't. I wouldn't see Jillian or even Sylvia having the nerve to show up. Well, first of all, to show up in France, but to show up on Matthew de Clermont's property, and you are not a congregation member. No, I don't see that happening. I mean, that's probably the only reason why Domenico was even able to get on the property because he's part of the congregation and he had permission.
4: I would even go more basic than that. I would even say, suggest, that it's more of a power level thing. I don't think either one of them physically and metaphorically or magically has the juice to get on the property. Because if you think about it, if they're, make them, declare that there has to be some sort of ley line, protective barrier, I'm sure they've hired witches over the years to put, you know, protection spells and stuff, or that only they can recognize their kind, or whatever, or whatnot, but I, I think that neither one of them has the juice. I think you're right, you have to be on a congregation in order to physically step onto the land.
0: Yeah. yeah. So again, Satu.
4: And
2: then, Cause I don't yeah, think Knox like, has. Sit there you know, is gonna sit there like I smell witch.
0: Right. <laughs>
1: yeah, that'd be a problem.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I
1: think I think, if, I, think if, I the reason I'm seeing because it didn't mention that Matthew mentioned that he was like, well, you know, vampires can't really fly. They can run and jump up really high, but they can't fly. So. That could be, I mean, that could mean, I think it, I think uh, uh, for some reason, I think that it wasn't Matthew, I think, I think, it, I think Baldwin took her and the and He's just trying to figure out what the fuck's going on. And then there's going to be a big thing between, between him and Matthew, about but uh, Matthew's going to sniff it out and be like, what the fuck you doing? And there's going to be a whole big thing. I know I haven't seen it and I'm the only one that hasn't seen it. So Y'all don't have to look at me, look at me, and be like, "Hmm, could be." If you already know, so it's fine. I understand that. I'm just throwing out my, I really have a theory thing because I'm not really good at it, and my theories are usually kind of shite anyway. So.
0: No, I just, I just think Baldwin does not strike me as the type who would do something like that and be underhanded about it. Like Baldwin has enough power, and he. He has the position to where if he were going to go to set tour and take Diana, he would march right up to the door and be like, okay, I'm taking her. You know what I'm saying? Because even though, yes, Isabel is there, Matthew is there, he is still the leader of the congregation and by rights, he has every right to go up to them and say, hey, I need to take her because of X, Y, Z. The witches are demanding her back, and that is their right because she is part of their faction and not ours. He has the he he has the rights to do that. He has the power to do that. He has the position to do that. So I don't think he would do it in that way and be sneaky about it. One, because I don't think he would cross Isabel like that, and then two. If he knows anything about his brother, I think he would know what kind of reaction Matthew would have to that uh, to, to that kind of sneak attack and what it would end up costing their family. Again, I think even though Baldwin has to set rules and he has to enforce rules... I still think deep down inside he has to have some kind of loyalty to his brother. So I I don't think he would do that in in that kind of way. That seems more of like if I have to say if it wasn't Satu, that would seem like more of a Knox move. But again, I don't think Knox. I don't think Knox would. Um. I don't think he would challenge Matthew like that face-to-face, or I don't think no, he would he challenge Matthew like that at all. Him. Uh-uh, he doesn't. He doesn't.
1: It's, it's the whole thing with this, it has kind of like a Mycroft and Holmes thing with him and Baldwin. <laughs> but like, you know, like, like, Baldwin's totally Mycroft, just sitting there like, and Matthew, what now? Mm-hmm. And Matthew's off doing all kinds of who knows what and all this stuff. Right. And being creative and thinking and all this other stuff. And then there's there's Mike Cross in there like, okay, I gotta get him out of this shit again, but no one has to know. So, okay, here we go. That's kinda of that that's just the vibe that I was getting from it.
0: Yeah. I do think that he is probably thinking that way. Like he's trying to figure out how he can deal with the Matthew and Diana situation and appease the congregation, but still be loyal to his family. So I I do think that there is a little bit of maybe scheming there going on with him. Like he's trying to figure that out. Um, you know, and he probably would have been able to do it a little bit better if he hadn't been called out publicly in the congregation by Knox. So... um but yeah, I, I think that's a little bit of what's going on. But uh, speak, speaking of scheming and machinations, let me let me just say Domenico as much of a sneak as he is and he seems to be trying to undermine Jiber, um, especially by you know talking to Juliet and basically basically it seemed like he was planting the idea in her mind that she doesn't necessarily have to obey what Jaber says. You know, because when she talked about going after Matthew at Sator, and she was like, I can't do it. I can't do anything without Jaber's permission. He was like, really? And she looked at him like, what?
2: Why would you think that? Right. Why would you think that?
0: Right. But I'm telling you. you,
2: I told you two episodes ago that, that Domenico has has his own agenda. He does. He's setting things up. He's playing the long game. You set things up for the future.
0: He does. He's so he's so. He's so sneaky and so conniving and I hate that kind of person, but he is so damn fine. I'm just like, okay, you know what, Domenico, you can do whatever you want. I will <laughs> give you a pay. I will give you a pay. Hey, hey, you guys have been talking about Alex Kingston since this series started. But
1: more like Hair that he oh my, mustache. oh my god.
0: Oh, Y'all have been talking about Alex Kingston since this series started, so let me have Domenico with his pretty oh, brown yeah. skin yeah. and his good oh, ass god. hair. I oh, <laughs> uh, there's, there's, am
1: not saying that, you know, no, no, we're not saying that. No, he's not getting us in trouble, trouble with people. And he's looking down because he, he's like, put me out by myself, it's fine. No, I'm not.
0: Domenico is fine. He can do whatever he wants. I'm, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Well, we're all in
2: agreement on Juliet. I'll just leave
0: it. Yes, we're all in. Yes, we are very much all in agreement on, on Juliet. Yes. You know, I don't want her to have Matthew, but yeah. She's mm-hmm, gorgeous. Just gorgeous. But anyway, so, um, yeah. Like I told you,
2: Domenico, Domenico, Domenico has a plan. He's he he's he's doing things for his own gain. And
0: and and, and, Jubeir, and it seems like Jabeir <laughs> trusts him, and he has he really shouldn't trust. No one should trust Dominico. Well, here's but, the thing. I think, like I said, I think at first. Domenico may have been loyal to Jaber, but after that that shade Jaber threw in the congregation, Domenico is probably like, oh, that's the way it is? Okay, you know what? Let me take care of myself. Because
2: Jaber was basically you know, like... What's going to happen is Domenico and Satu are going to get together because the dudes that they seem to be running with
1: are pissing them off. Yeah. Even even though even though he's already jacked up, Sat to, and showed her showed her that he's not one to be trifled with. I just think that he wants to be the last last vamp standing when all the dust clears because he's getting ready to have have both of both of the have Jarrett bear and Baldwin and Baldwin and Matthew going head to head, and if if they wipe each other out or they can't stand, <laughs> it's like he's going to be one of the last vamp standing, and he's going to have a lot of power. So there's
0: definitely that. There's definitely something to that. Mm. May the odds be ever in his favor, <laughs> <laughs> right? Because at this point, who I mean, Diana is missing. She has been kidnapped. It's about to be. Ah, <sighs> this is about to be war. I mean, that's that's what all yeah. the. That's what all the factions have been pointing at. Like, if this if this whole thing doesn't get situated, if they don't get the book of life, if, you know, if Diana is in return to the witches, wish, Diana was never kidnapped. And that's, you know, that's the thing I think the other factions need to realize. Like, Diana is actually trying to get away from Knox and the witches because they've done nothing but threaten her and made her life hell. So you know, but, but Knox is gonna keep yeah, playing that... Something,
1: something.
0: Right. But Knox is gonna keep playing that card until he gets what he wants, but I just... Something tells me it's not gonna work out the way that he wants it to. So, and like I said, I still feel like, especially now that she has gone to Jabeir specifically after Knox has told her not to, yeah, I... I don't think Knox is going to be around much longer because Satu is, she has no faith in him. She has no trust in him. He's basically been lying to her about, you know, a lot of things. And I think she's just, she's just to the point where she's like, okay, you know what, you're not getting this done and you're not doing it right. So it's time to take things into my own hands, you know. If you want something done right, you have to do it yourself. And I think that's just kind of where Satu is now. So she wants answers about Diana Bishop. And the only way she's going to get answers about Diana Bishop is if she asks the questions. And if she gets the answers. So we'll we'll see how that goes. She's going
1: to get ready to be on her girls, get it done, get it done thing. This could be interesting because I think she, for her, it's it's like it's so weird because she's powerful,
0: but she just I don't, I don't think she's really let loose herself. So that'd be it interesting to see the extent of her powers too. Yeah, I don't know. She let loose when she
2: put that dude <laughs> on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, she, but, yeah,
0: but he I was human. This. But he was human. So even though yes, yeah, she let loose, I don't think she had to use like the full extent of her powers because that dude was human. Now, if Knox was trying to come after her at that point and she did that, then yeah, I would say it, but I I don't think we, I, I agree with Mike. I don't think we've seen the full extent of Satu's powers yet. I think she's powerful, but I think, I think we'll probably see if she was indeed the one to kidnap Diana. I think we'll probably see the extent there because as we know, Diana's powers tend to come out when she needs to protect herself. So her being abducted. Mm -hmm. So her being abducted. I just I I kind of feel sorry for whoever took her, cause I don't think, I don't think it's gonna go the way that they planned it to go. Any final thoughts about episode five?
1: No, uh, I'm just waiting to see the, the, the biggest biggest I've seen so far in the three, in the three the three series that we watched is like who done it who snatched her. So I'm really interested to see who that is. <laughs>
0: I'm just—I'm curious to see what her reaction is gonna be to being snatched. Like, what is her magic gonna do?
2: Oh, I think to keep thinking. There's a war coming, Ned. <laughs> <laughs> <Something thinking>.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs>
0: oh, let's just hope no one gets yeah, beheaded. Just, get
1: it, get it. <laughs> oh, Lord of Mercy.
0: Oh, well.
2: You're going to get references on this show. I mean, that's, that's, that's
4: what
0: you're going to get. Yep. Yeah, Mike, you just you need to go on ahead and and do the Game of Thrones thing. Just go on ahead and <laughs> and get it done.
1: That's fine.
0: Yep. Yep.
1: I kind of figured, that, figured that's where it came from. Uh, I was like, it's not Ned Flanders so it's not
0: a Simpsons. <laughs> uh, no, <so>. no, no, no. <laughs> all right well that's it for our show you can find us on the web at www.fandomhybrid.com we are on social media on facebook instagram and twitter at Phantom hybrid you can listen to the show on spotify google Podcasts, apple Podcasts, stitcher and other major podcast streaming platforms thanks for listening we hope you join the conversation next time